27, Shelby Rule out of Peace River, Alberta. No shout. Gonna be riding Athena Little Cash. Amanda. How cool is it to hear Peace River, Alberta down in Arizona? We are so proud of our little buddy Shelby just living her best life at the Royal Crown. We are officially going to be coach jockeys all week. Yes, <laughs> I'm excited to cheer on all weekend. She's on uh, Friday and Sunday too. Mm-hmm. Yes. She yes. just ran in there like an old pro. She did. We, yeah. We're, I, ugh, Midge, I'm like lost for words. She is so <laughs> cool and like... Shelby hasn't rode her in like probably like two months now. I would say maybe two months. Probably, yeah. Yeah. And looks like they haven't skipped a beat. Just Mm -hmm. made a beautiful run Mm -hmm. and so excited to see what the rest of the weekend brings for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So that's what's going on in our friends' lives. Dina, you got some exciting Mm -hmm. news. I do. I got a new whip. Got a new whip. Your horse got a new whip. Corley got a new whip. got a new whip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got a new trailer, a new to me trailer. Um, So excited. I tried backed up last night, though. (laughs) I was going to say, have you driven it yet? uh, Yeah, so Cole made me like go down the driveway, back up, turn around, and like try parallel. So the first time I tried parallel parking this thing, like, okay, wait, where are you going to have to parallel park? I don't know. Maybe it wasn't parallel parking. I just said parallel parking. (laughs) Probably wasn't, honestly. I just tried parking this thing next to a small horse trailer, like his brother's horse trailer. And I was, maybe that's why I said parallel, because I was the complete other way. Like, I just can't do it. Like, my brain isn't there yet. but I came from like a two horse bumper pull to a huge four horse mid tack uh, weekender, but like a big weekender. Like mm-hmm. if we took out the mid tack, it would be like a nice size living quarters. Like it's like a five horse pretty much. Yeah, if you like that. But one. that mid tack is gonna be awesome. Yes, super so pumped nice. for that. So then it has the majors, uh, majors, majors. Oh, it has majors too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you have yeah. tons. Of tons of storage. Tons of places to put all my shit. All so, the ride tribe can fit in there. We just might be a little yeah. bit scared for our lives. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be very scared. I'm like literally like I can picture myself taking out a little like mini cooper beside me hopefully no children on a bike like i don't know i'm just like nervous watch out smart cars yeah just kidding but i yeah i'm super pumped about it i'm gonna do like a little reno on the inside because we'll have like two beds in there and it's pretty nice in there is it it is but i just want to like make it a little homey just make a little homey even cole's like why do you want to do that i'm like i don't know i just feel like it just do let me live my life so yeah so you put out like some advertisements like a while ago on the pod on the page just saying that you were looking for a trailer mm-hmm. and like I feel like this is how I found Ray too so sometimes you just like find the best deals when you put it out there that you're looking and people that don't have it listed message you and mm-hmm. that's like kind of what happened here right yeah old Barry there I think he didn't even know what this trailer was worth like <laughs> isn't it like a warm blood size too so yeah it's, it's huge you guys like yeah, I literally cool. shit when I look at it because I'm like I am so scared to drive you <laughs> but anyways so yeah I, I i don't know i'm excited but it's like it. underneath it looks brand like it looks it, like you it got a brand like new a, yeah literally this guy like he's like oh i live um six miles from like where i go ride so he just had his one canadian bread horse and put it in the trailer and drove it six miles down the road <laughs> that for, beast yeah <laughs> yeah he was a so, trucker he was a trucker and yeah poor poor barry he just we just took him for a ride on the price that he had. Oh my trailer, goodness! So. He, he didn't know about everything barrel racing, Alberta. No, or anything, or everything trailers, all like Canada or whatever. Oh I found it on, but yeah, poor poor guy. But you know, we'll just scoop Worked up a deal. I'm not even horse poor because of that trailer. Now, <laughs> I think I think I had like a horse poor investment because I could probably flip it and sell it for like double of mm, what I got nice. it for. You probably could, honestly. Yeah, yeah. 
pretty like pretty used, close. Use stuff like trucks and trailers and campers and all that stuff just with like the backup of getting being able to get new stuff. It's like worth a lot of mm-hmm. money these days compared to maybe what it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yes. And then speaking of Corley, I like want to give a shout out to Vanessa because she's doing mm-hmm. such a good job with him. I am so excited. Um, she did tell me she is still taking outside horses. So if you guys are looking to send a horse to a very good trainer who not only has taken the time to like leg up my horse properly, build his lungs up and do all that, but also like figure out his quirks and like work through them in a very like well-respected way like gradual process yeah I just love her style I think that she's gonna be like a really great person to follow behind she takes like she keeps it simple you like I've seen her ride and it's like okay is that Nadine or is that Vanessa because you guys are so similar yeah I think we have like a very simple similar like foundation as like what we like Mm -hmm. our horses to feel and I think that's why it clicks so well exactly yeah Yeah. when you guys do your slow work like when you send a video of like yeah you know when you send a video of you doing your slow work and Mm -hmm. then like her it it does it's like the same very similar yeah yeah so I I don't know I'm I'm super excited to get him back she's Mm -hmm. starting to enter him now because his lungs are up and she's like I want to make sure to preserve his lungs in the best way so mm-hmm. I know how much she cares for the horses and like he just looks so good. So I am very excited. But definitely if you guys are looking for a trainer or someone to bring your horse to the next level, Vanessa's your girl. You can find her on Facebook, on Instagram, and it's Vanessa Salisbury. And then she's also episode number 69 on the podcast. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Nice. Yeah. What's going on with you? With me, um, I've just been getting right in shape. I went to a clinic with Dina Millard on Sunday, just yeah. one session. How was that? So awesome. It like brought a couple thoughts to mind. Just for her, like you can tell that she is so passionate about teaching. She's so passionate about horses mm-hmm. and learning. Um, like we were just previously talking about too with Paige, like she learns from every discipline. Like she's like, oh, you know, that was my first podcast listening to Tana, but now I've been listening to this podcast with this cow Mm -hmm. horse guy and this like English person, you know? So I think like never stop learning. Even Mm -hmm. people that like reach the highest success, you know, they, they don't stop learning. And Mm -hmm. I found that very like admirable about her um, clinic this weekend is, you know, she references, she does her homework and um, she's very passionate about it. And that really shows through. And it was an awesome session. Mm -hmm. So um, I did that on Sunday. So what was it like? What kind of the schedule of that? What was it like? Uh, So she does three hour sessions and she was there all weekend. Yeah. And so like you can and that's a nice thing, too. You don't have to commit for a whole weekend. You don't have to spend three hundred dollars. If you want to go for just one session, Mm -hmm. dip your toes wet, go home, do some homework and process what you learned. You can spend one hundred fifty dollars and do the three hours. It was all on the horses. Um, I was kind of getting caught up to speed. The other girls were there the day before. So she just kind of gave me the background on her program. We all did like a one barrel drill. Then we all did a three barrel drill. And then we all did pattern work. Mm -hmm. And she's on the horse. She's got a mic and she demonstrates and yeah it was all around just awesome I will totally go back for another session yes so what are some things that maybe that you learned with Ray or something you want to work on that you took away from her clinic um actually like the things we worked on was everything I like had in my mind that I wanted to work on if she asked me what I was Mm -hmm. there to work on just like balance getting the hind end underneath them um getting right up into those spots and keeping like the forward motion Mm -hmm. um it was just a little bit of a different approach than what i had been doing you know maybe riding with a little more outside rain and that inside one is a little looser Mm -hmm. like um so like soft and respectful Mm -hmm. on that um 
inside rein, but just, you know, not only using the outside rein, but a lot of using your legs and body Mm -hmm. and just feeling where they are like a lot back to horsemanship and like feeling where the feet are and how, you know, where everything should be and how that feels when it is in the right place. And, um, a lot less like, um, you know, she wasn't, we didn't focus a lot on like bending at the pole, bending that way. It was more like underneath you, your legs and, um, yeah, just focus on kind of where they're putting their feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how Vanessa was too. Like even when I first rode Corley and his like head was uh, head was up in the air, she's like, don't worry don't about even, that yeah. because when we get his body right, his head is naturally going to want to go down. And that's mm-hmm. probably the similar foundation as to like what Dina was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, that's really cool. So, yeah, awesome. I will be back. Uh, I've been going to the odd jackpot, going to go to one in Fairview on Saturday and just oh, trying to get so like... So excited. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, but that's about it. What and about you, Stevie? Yeah, you've been journeying off yeah. to Pinoca. <laughs> Big long drive with Pharaoh, but... Um, and your yeah. mom. She's yeah. the yeah, best Yeah, my sport. mom's been going Just the me. best barrel racing mama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Grandmama. Yeah, and she looks after Pharaoh while I ride. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Riley McKenzie has had fame um, since October, actually. She's had him quite a while. Yeah, that's or, a long time. Yeah, originally I was like, okay, Riley, can you take him till maybe January? Get him in shape because it's cold and I just don't have the time right now. But then I mm-hmm. wanted to futurity him this year. Um, so anyway, she's riding him, doing really well with him. Like, I didn't want her to push him or anything in which she she likes to take them slow. Like... Mm-hmm. let them find their speed get mm-hmm. them nice and comfortable and you know a good foundation and um doing the barrels correctly before you try to add speed and so he was coming along really good and like she's really enjoying him and you could tell like they were they're just a good match they're clicking mm-hmm. yeah and so they look like a good match <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. so um i we talked about it and i was like so do you have any room? Like, do you maybe want to just keep them for the futurity season? And yeah, she was, she was totally game for that. So I decided she's keeping him for the whole season and she'll futurity him. And yeah, so she had, she kept sending me videos and she's like, yeah, he's doing really good. He just, he'll get a burst of speed, like right after his barrels. He just doesn't, hasn't figured out that it is a race yet like he hadn't figured it out yet and then she sent me a video was it when you were there yeah it was when nadine was down in pinoca and she's like wow he totally blew my expectations out of the water like i don't think she like you know was just gonna go for a nice little cruise and he was an 18-8 i think he was in the 3d I don't know. He was yeah. there to, he was there to race that. Yeah, yeah he, he was, was in the three D. He had figured yeah. it out. Okay, this is this is happening. And so I went a month after that and she's like, Yeah, he's doing really good. He's really he really likes to run home and and she said he knows he's a barrel horse now. Like he's got that attitude and he thinks he's something now. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that's You're cool. Like, oh, that's okay. awesome. Well, I'm just like so excited. So I go there because I was like, while she, while he's there, I wanna I wanna learn from Riley, mm-hmm. and so I brought D down and I rode her, and then I got on Fame. And well, no, first I just went, and I she's like, I'm gonna help. Well, Ashton was there too. She was gonna help Ashton, and I went to get Fame. He was tied up out back, and I 
I untie him. I start start walking to the barn, and I'm like, "Wow, you even just leading you has some presence. You walk yeah. different. He's just like confident. This is my job. I know what I'm doing. We're yeah. going barrel racing. Ooh. And so, so yeah, I get on and I trot through the barrels. You know, warm him up. Trot through. I might have loped through once, and they're like, "Okay, just cruise through." Oh my goodness, <laughs> <laughs> guys! I haven't. I haven't ridden a big horse like this in a really long time. He is a big boy, too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I go around first, and he's just like, yeah. He launches. Takes off, yeah. and I'm just like, freak out. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to die here. And he's just like, Steph, get off or just hang on and go with me. Like, we're barrel racing here. <laughs> I mean, he didn't try to buck me off, but I felt like he was just saying, what are you doing? What the heck? Yeah. Like, because he wants to go. And I'm like, whoa, buddy. Yeah. And yep. so it's going to take some getting used to for me. I'm used to little, you know, Joe and Dee. They're, they're quick, but they're little. You know, they don't yeah. have that huge stride like him. He does stride out. Yeah, he does. Yeah. So I was kind of brave. I did another one and I had Deb and Riley. I don't know. Maybe more Deb was yelling at me. <laughs> be brave <laughs> and so i tried i let him go a little faster and it was scary yeah and he yeah. like i just yeah you're just he, not used to it i'm no, not used not. to it's, it it's honestly it's so much worse like even you know going to a clinic and you kind of know people are like eyes on you you're yeah it's just you were probably feeling a little bit of pressure 100%. too in that big yeah. and it's that's a big pen that is a big it pen. is a big pen yeah. like so i'm getting used to that pen and then used to him but yeah, he feels like he loves it. He just wants mm-hmm. to do it. Um, they said he's so happy and um they they're loving him too. Yeah, they're yeah. really loving him. And so I'm really excited to see. He's actually going heading to endurance in a in a couple days because Riley's going down to the American. Ooh, yes. So he's going to spend 2 weeks at the at endurance doing the um water it's not swimming. a treadmill, water swimming, yeah. Nice. He's going to do that for two weeks, and then his first futurity will be, um, is it at Thorsby? The frozen oh, one? Oh, yep, yep. That's uh, yeah, April at the end of 2nd. March. Oh, okay, the beginning of April, end of yeah. March. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I see that. That's yeah, Cody's so, jackpot. Yeah, that looks like a So he'll event. be going yeah. to that. But yeah, I'm just so excited, Like, and Riley said too, She's really thankful that I just let her take it slow with him and not try to get him fast overnight. Right away. Yes. Because it's going to make... January. Yeah, exactly. It's going to make a much more solid horse. And he's going to last all season. He's not going to be fast now and then Blow it all later. falls apart, right? Yeah. Question. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I'd be, like, so tempted to, like, you know, want to ride him, get with him kind of thing, like, a little bit here and there. So, are you going to continue to try to ride him? Or is, like, yeah. your guys, is a, <laughs> what's your approach with, like, you moving in a little and learning yeah. with, with this process? So, this is, that's kind of what I, I talked to her about that. And I said, okay, he is definitely different than what I've ridden. I said, maybe, like, I... I want to still learn, but I don't want it while you're futuring him. I don't want to try to make runs and interfere, or interfere, whatever. Or whatever. And she said, well, still come and I can ride D with her. And um, she said, just do slow work with him. Get used to him. Yeah. So no. I'm yeah. So I'm going to do that. Go ride with her. Do slow work and get used to him. So then once you're feeling really yeah. comfy, then you yeah. can. Yeah. Move it up. Yeah. Yeah. I like and that. in the bigger pen, like, honestly, I've 
I need to go ride there more, which is mm-hmm. what I've been doing. I've been trying to go once a month because yeah. it is it is quite intimidating. Mm-hmm. I'm super comfortable in like Teepee Creek and High Prairie, but all so these little arenas. But then you go to those big arenas and it's what yeah. darn Asian. Yeah. 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 So what were you doing with D there? I I kind of just had my own little mini clinic <laughs> with Riley. <laughs> no, or with just yourself. myself. Just well, just I did. The arenas and yeah. Worked. I did ride um, one one day with Riley, but then the next day I just came and I I just did a little warm up and I did some drills, got off, had some lunch, practice, got practice. on, did a few more drills, nice. and then I did a cruise through. And then the next day before I left, I I got on and did a little warm up and then just another cruise through, just building up our confidence and getting comfortable in there. So, yeah, nice. Yeah. Perfect. And I did I did take her for um a preseason exam and at oh, West yeah. Hills. Yeah, you were going to story that and you never did. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. I've done a lot of those videos. <laughs> I know. So I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to make a reel." <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but she was good. She was um she passed her laminus exam. She's Perfect. Looking really good. Her feet so. are feeling good. Yeah. Perfect. Her feet are feeling good from her abscess, so we're good Keep to go. Keep on trucking. Well, it sounds yeah. like the pod squad and the ride tribe is going to have a very fun season ahead of us. Everyone's and getting legged up. Oh boy. And not only are we all going to be feeling good and riding good, but we're also going to be looking good because this episode mm-hmm. is all about a cowgirl who brings the class and sophistication and a touch of the Wild West. Into Western fashion. Into Western mm-hmm. fashion. Yes, 100%. She is like a style icon in mm-hmm. our community and it is an alberta made company um from the designs to like her schooling to the like, manufacturing her, of yeah the like the, the micro 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 yeah the micro factory word. is yeah. in stavely alberta yes yeah. so very cool to have all these handcrafted items with like all the history yeah yeah i love that I love mm-hmm. it. And it extremely <laughs> exclusive. So yes. be sure yes. to check her out and grab a page 1912 exclusive or a Pursue Victory exclusive. I need one of them. Mm, I need all <laughs> of them. Please welcome Paige Calloway. Well, let's dive into it. We have a ton of different topics that we want to dive into, like horses, horse training, your clothing line, so many different things. So I don't even know where to start. Just a little bit of your background and where you're at today. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to chat to you guys. Um, I grew up in Southern Alberta, like the Millerville area. And then I've been living around the close home Stavely area. And that's where our shop is, is in Stavely. But I'm currently in southern Idaho and will be for the next few months. And Matt's starting some colts down here, so I get to tag along with my herd of horses or our herd of horses and and ride all day other than when I'm working. But so yeah, fun. so I'm in oh, Idaho fun. now and things are things are still running up north. I usually work in the morning so that <clears throat> I can get that out of the way and then ride horses in the afternoon. So what is your guys' niche in the horse industry? Um, well, it's definitely more math niche. He starts colts, and he started colts for, I mean, long before he met me. He started colts for cutting horse people, ranches. Uh, he started 
uh, Coltsford D. Butterfield when he first got to Canada. And then this deal down here is uh, a giant rant. Well, I don't even know how to explain. It's, it's Simplot is who he's working for. And Simplot is a giant corporation. They own a feedlot and a bunch of ranches. And to furnish the feedlot and the ranches with horses, they have a horse program. So uh, they hire Matt to come down here and he starts 20 colts. And then there was Wow. Uh, a handful of re-rides, this three-year-old that he started last year that he put some rides on again. And then, uh, so he'll start the 20 Colts and then they, he starts them as two-year-olds. So that's kind of his niche, I guess, is the Colts starting. Okay. Oh, that's nice. cool. And that's such an art. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I, I talk about that a lot with him and with other people. I feel like it's one of the most underrated jobs and specifically the performance horse industry, but the horse industry in general, like it's such imperative years for those horses and it either puts them on a good road or it doesn't put them on a good road. hundred oh, percent. But Matt also niched himself a little bit when he started Colts for D. Uh, he still gets a lot of lightning brand horses. So they aren't always a cakewalk, those horses, but they're always worth it. Uh, but Matt did kind of niche himself in that corner. And then he, had a lot of other barrel. This is before I met him. He was he started Colts for D, and then had a lot of other barrel racers contacting him, and he started Colts by the barrel racers. And I still get people come up to me today, like, "Oh, I tried to get a hold of Matt about you know six seven years ago, and he just never got back to me." And <sighs> like, yeah, sorry about that. He's, he's not much better now, but at least oh, he can get a hold of me. So yeah, uh, he keeps as busy anyway, now as so he wants he, to be. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, and he has a pretty good list of Colts kind of ahead of time. People were booking last year for this spring to make hmm. sure their two-year-olds got started right and stuff like that. So, so, it's, so how soon yeah, do you have good. to book? <laughs> for a lightning brand. Yeah, because you guys have lightning brand. I have horses. two mares. Yeah, I have two um, perfect mares that are falling out this year. Oh, do you? Would you cross them on? Um, one is a French's hula guy and one is a jaguar. Oh, those mm-hmm. will be cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are the dam perfect? What's the dam side of the dam? Perfect cross uh, on. Uh, one is a Tara's first love mare, and one is um, oh, yeah. Sunita's Chula Joe mare. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, he's he's not two years out booking. So <laughs> okay. Okay. So I have time. Good that way. <laughs> You have time, Perfect. right? I had a, I actually had a friend who, she was breeding her horse last year, and she's like, "Do I need to get on a list? Like, is this daycare in New York where I have to be on the list before I have a child?" And I'm like, "No, it's not like that." <laughs> That's funny. So, do you guys typically stick yeah. to um, like Canada in the summer then, and then head down south in the winter year to year? Um, yeah, we try to. Last year was a little bit upside down. Um, Matt came down here last year and I didn't come down. I was sorting some stuff out with the business and then just with COVID, it got tricky to travel. So I ended up spending all last winter in Canada, but then I was rodeoing a lot in Montana through the summer. Uh, but the prior years, yeah, we usually try to get south for a few months anyways and take a break from the winter. Nice. Okay, wait. So you said you were you were rodeoing. Are you barrel racing? Or are you roping? Or what are you doing at the rodeos? Um, I was roping this summer. I roped all through high school and college. And then uh, when I was done college, there was nowhere to go rope. 
So I kind of hung it up. And then about a year and a half ago, uh, a friend of mine, well, I guess almost two years ago, a friend of mine's like, you got to come rope. And I kind of got back into it that way. So I've been breakaway roping again for almost a couple of years, almost two years. And then I didn't run barrels at all this summer. Uh, my, the two horses that I had, I had a maturity horse, or I guess I've had two maturity horses, but they're now eight and nine years old. And the older one, I maturityed her and then she ended up actually getting hurt at a maturity and I didn't really know it. And then it compounded. And so once we got her all back rehabbed and healthy, Matt took her, she's a dash to fame bred horse and she needed some like real life experience and some outdoor miles. So Matt took her and cowboyed on her. And then the next year, the maturity horse I had, um, she was great and she like, she did fine and we won money, but she just, it wasn't her thing. And then as soon as I started roping, it was very apparent that was her thing. So then I've been roping on her ever since. Uh, she's about, well, for the last two years I've been roping on her. So I've, and then, so I haven't been running barrels. And then this year I have another fraternity horse. So I've, I'll be back at it. Cool. Let's hear about your fraternity horse this year. Mm -hmm. His name is Lincoln. And he was actually a horse that he's a perfect possibility out of, like I think it's Miss Mandy Mido. I oh, cool. I don't remember the dam all the time. Um, but it was a horse that D had it's actually kind of a cool story. D was D had another horse that she Matt rode for her quite a bit to kinda a bit of a restart, a gray horse that she had and then at one point she's like, Well let me let me make a deal with you. Like you take this horse, I'll give you a second horse. And then you let me know when it's ready. And she was going to work out a deal. So Matt would have this big solo horse. And then it's again, Matt isn't always the best at returning calls or communicating. So <laughs> that didn't happen. And she ended up selling this sorrel horse uh, to a gal. And then the gal kind of started her, started this horse and he was a little bronchy. So she got him to Matt and Matt started him. And then long story short, we ended up owning him. And, uh, yeah, so all Futurity Lincoln this year, he's, oh, cool. he's a big horse. He's a perfect possibility. He can get a little bit, uh, zippy at times, but super <laughs> athletic. He's a kind hearted horse. Like at first he definitely could kick the lights out, but he's come a long ways. And I've been, I guess Matt rode him for about the first year we owned him and I didn't really get close to him because it's one thing to have a horse with a lot of life but it's another when they're like 15 3 and stout yeah yeah <laughs> so no i was kind of scared of them for a while and then i started riding them last may or june and actually hauled them a bit with me this summer just took him to rodeo so you could see the sights and uh yeah so i have him he's a super stakes too which i'm kind of excited oh, nice. for so i haven't had a super stakes oh fun yeah oh so you'll be sticking around till october anyways mm -hmm. next year yeah, I'll be coming back. I'm hoping, well, I don't know if I'll hit the May maturities, if I'll be back in time, but I'll definitely be up there for the PBHI in the fall. Cool. That's cool. the plan. We'll all be there. Yeah, yeah we definitely <laughs> will all be there. Watching and awesome. riding. Working. Yeah. And working. We'll be busy. Hopefully making sweet runs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the sickest runs. Yeah. So you were telling us earlier, um, you were at an event called the Art of the Cowgirl. So can you tell us a little bit, like just what that is, and um, like what you what part you had in it there? Um, the Art of the Cowgirl. It's a phenomenal event. If you guys ever get a chance, 
definitely come down to it. They had it in Queen Creek this year, and I think it's there next year too. And the whole event, uh, I guess the core of the event is more of the master's program. So they have, uh, I'm going to do my best to explain this, but I'm not, I'm not a part of the organization other than a vendor. So, um, but they have silversmiths and they have leather, all different trades of Western art. And it's a scholarship program to work underneath them and learn how to like make boots or, you know, engrave silver or make jewelry and all these different things. And so in addition to the masters and the scholarship program, they have this event and they have, uh, ranch rodeo world's greatest horsewoman. They had a breakaway roping. They have a trade show. And then they have demonstrations of everything from like Larry D guy and Sherry survey to people driving a team of horses to basic horsemanship to stock dogs. And they also had a horse sale. Um, so it's just like every giant cowgirl festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was really cool. It was at the queen Creek horseman's park, which is a really nice facility. And there was, three different arenas and then the trade show kind of in the, in the middle of them. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. You know, you could like Sherry survey did a seminar and there was a Larry D guy clinic going on and yeah, lots to take in lots of great vendors. It was a really cool event. Oh, it's my dream to go there one day and like one day, what maybe have like a, yeah, have a horse in the sale. Like that is like one of my dreams for sure. Just like a quilt you started and freaking make it real cool and then put it in the sale there. So one day and probably like a million years from now, but get to have goals. (laughs) They do a really good job with their horse sale. Tammy and Mesa Pate put it on and they have a kind of a committee of people that help them. Actually, my mom is on the committee. She helps them quite a bit with the Art of the Cowgirl, but Mesa does the horse sale part, and she does a really good job of finding, well, like, not finding because there's a ton of people that want in it, but it's quality horses in it, which mm-hmm. is which is really cool, I think, especially in this day and age with the volume of horse sales there are. You know, it's just it's nice to know that you go there and you're going to get the real deal. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't an Alberta girl win it or have the highest... Um sale horse was it last year i think pam got like the the highest seller last year i want to say i think at their bozeman event last last summer she had high seller yeah which is pretty cool yeah and then another gal keely stewart had i think second or third high seller at this last sale which is nice. pretty cool because it was a pretty bump in sale yeah so are the horses that go through there, are they a certain age and discipline or is it kind of a bit of everything from, you know, like all the different ranching stuff to, you know, maybe cow work and cutting and stuff too? Um, that's what I thought. It was a bit of everything. There was, you know, four-year-olds going through there. There was older ranch geldings. There was, um, Variety. you know, a horse that would lay down and dogs run around it. Kind of, But I would say the horses that did the best were uh usually really pretty <laughs> um yeah. but really broke and just quiet because yeah. that's kind of the demographic that you have to sell there right mm-hmm. i don't think people go there to buy bloodlines i think they go there to buy something they can out for six months and hop on and go trail riding yeah 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 it, it's pretty cool and then they also sold stock dogs which oh. they did well the dogs sold well but then i saw at the same time i didn't realize stock dogs were like i knew they were obviously valuable 
But there was a dog sale at the Red Block sale for $45,000. I saw oh, wow. that. And it wasn't even groomed. Like, I think I, like when I saw a picture of it, I was like, that dog, like, actually, like, isn't even groomed and all fancied up. It just was sitting there. Dog? Yep. Mm-hmm. What kind of dog? A like coli. a coli? Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Named Skittles. Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> they are handy Pretty to cool, have though. though like it's incredible what some of those kind of dogs can do like you can just say like they go get them and they'll bring a them bunch all. of bulls yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's like having another hired hand seriously the good one is that's way cuter yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they don't complain yeah yeah, yeah. Just talk back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so let's get into yeah. how you made your passion into a business and how you became an entrepreneur um with like the barrel racing western world we all love your shirts and we're so excited to talk about these so maybe tell us a little bit about your brand and how you developed it mm-hmm. so before i started pursue victory i had started uh, a business called wild rose clothing and it was all just graphic tees and things that I could screen print on because I didn't have the knowledge of how to create garments that I would design or sketch out. And then I went back to school. I went to a school in Calgary called Ecoholt Couture. And Couturier is like tailoring, but more intense. So we would take 70 measurements of one person and then design the garment. And we would create a pattern specifically for that person based off their measurements for the garment that they were after or that they had designed with us. Oh, wow. And then you make one sample and you do fittings out of just like a, a plain cotton muslin. And then you do usually two, two or three fittings till it's absolutely perfect. And then you cut that cotton like mock-up apart and use that as your base pattern to then cut out of the expensive fabric to make the garment. So hmm. I learned about very high-end tailoring and I when I the first semester we had different assignments of what to make and one of the things that we were assigned to make was a blouse and so we were doing fittings and they're explaining how to hang the sleeve of a shirt so that it fit and your arms would move and it was the proper way of tailoring or proper couturier way of hanging a hanging a sleeve and I was like well you know I had grown up high school rodeo and college rodeo and struggling to find shirts that fit and I don't have long arms but I'm a little bit bustier and curvier so finding something that would you know stay tucked in or didn't pop open at the bust and then if the arms fit that was a bonus that was always a struggle for me so when I was in school and they're like well this is how you hang a sleeve and this is why I was like well why don't why doesn't everybody know this and they're all looking at me like everybody does know this page like welcome to couture and I'm just like no, nobody knows this. Like I grew up rodeoing. I know this. And so, um, that was kind of my first taste of, I guess that coupled with the experience of modeling the garments that we had made and how I felt when clothes fit me and Mm -hmm. the confidence it gave me. And I just thought, you know, if every person could wake up in the morning and put on clothes that fit them properly, the way clothes are meant to fit a human, how much different would this world be? You know, because sometimes, if you put on jeans and then they don't fit quite right and you're like, Oh man, I wish this fit here or that fit there or the shirt that, and we immediately think it's us that's Mm -hmm. not fitting properly, but it's actually the construction of garments that a lot of these bigger companies cut corners and then they don't fit as well. And then, you know, somebody makes a miscut on one, one layer of fabric in a factory 
on the other side of the world and then it becomes a confidence killer like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's so backwards and so I just thought if we could bring these shirts into the I was thinking initially into the Western world and then you could move your hands and your shirts would stay tucked in and you could roll for, you could run barrels, you could do whatever you needed to. Um, how much different would that be for the people competing or the people working? But then also what would it be like to have that confidence to take into the show pen or take into the boardroom or just take in with you throughout your day? So that was kind of the catalyst. Um, and then I initially, cause this was all the first semester of school. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I'm going to just sew all my friends shirts for Christmas. And uh-huh. I started making this list of everybody I was going to sew shirts for. And then I'm like, no, I'm going to start a business <laughs> and sell shirts to my friends. <laughs> so that was kind of how it started. Cool. Um, was, and it was just kind of this honest thing of like, people need to be able to wear a shirt that that fits them so they can go to their job and you're not about to go into the arena and like making sure your shirt's tucked in before you make a run. Like mm-hmm. what a, what an inappropriate use of mental space, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was the catalyst and it started with the brand Pursue Victory and it's always been on the forefront to manufacture in Canada uh, for ethical reasons in addition to maintaining the quality and integrity of the product. And then after Pursue Victory was around for a couple of years, I kind of, I wanted to expand and do more with the design front. So I created the sub-brand Page 1912, which is uh, kind of high fashion meets the Wild West. And it, it melds my two, my two favorite worlds of, I, I also was a professional trick rider for 10 years. And I always cool. wished I lived in 1912 and was at the first Calgary Stampede. And then when I went through Couturier School, I ended up traveling to London to visit a friend of mine who I grew up with. And I went to a Couturier Museum and got to see some of Coco Chanel's original garments. And um, the same year Coco Chanel opened her first shop was the first Calgary Stampede. And I'm like, oh my <gasps> gosh, like I missed my call. Like I should have been traveling the world at that time but uh so that's kind of what page 1912 is is it's what I would have in my trunk if I was traveling between uh rodeo to rodeo or overseas uh if I had lived in 1912. Wow I love that Mm -hmm. that is so cool I was wondering what the year like the story was behind the year on your we've got the backstory yeah Yeah, that is really cool yeah and I've definitely experienced like my my top like buttons popping off in the oh, middle yeah. of a run my like everything exposed that or the whole sucked. tucking it in like yeah i swear to god on, it's nice and tucked in you get on the horse and then it's like oh gotta redo it this is whole like thing i again. swear i have mooned the crowd before <laughs> with my butt crack hanging out and it's so you like look at your run and you're like i can't even post this because like i'm pretty sure everyone's seen the mole above my butt crack like <laughs> oh. <laughs> or your underwear sticking out oh, uh, if you I like it was even to so a point I like told my boyfriend this is like right when COVID started and I was like I want to make a western shirt bodysuit more but this, <laughs> this is hilarious and I feel like you'll appreciate this um my boyfriend's very crafty like he like can stitch and sew and he does like a bunch of leather work so he's done all that but he can also like hem my pants if I need or fix like whatever and I can't do that for him but he does that for me but so I was like hey I'm gonna design this shirt like we have all this time in the world because we were both out of work because of COVID so I like went to like the fabric store and then so I found like this like 
perfect rose pattern i was super pumped about it and then like a burgundy like i was gonna do like a burgundy collar and burgundy cuff with like this rose pattern it was gonna be so pretty and we got like um, a structure for like the like the cutouts or whatever for like building the shirt and um my boyfriend's like okay you can't like do a bodysuit because like this kind of material like he was like <laughs> it was hilarious he was just like couldn't comprehend how a bodysuit works but like totally talked me out of the idea so i was like okay whatever like won't do the bodysuit we'll just like do like i just want to make a shirt like i don't know i just felt this random ambition and then so i ended up going yeah. somewhere one day and i came home and there are like a million different pieces cut all over the house and they're all over the floor and Cole's like laying there on his stomach and he's like putting them all together and he's like trying to make me this shirt and I was like oh like I thought Aww. we were gonna do this together but it was like super cute and then oh I like left again and came back and he had the shirt like almost finished is this the blazer no no he, he did do the blazer but no this shirt like i didn't even show anyone it looks like a 70s pimp shirt like the collar oh, is so, so the collar is oh. so wide i was he's like super proud of it he's like how come we never wear it i'm like oh i don't know i just don't reach for it no, i forgot when he listens to this episode. he doesn't even listen to the yeah. podcast so we're good but yeah i know he we tried being a clothing designer well, i tried being one for 12 minutes and he probably spent two days but that was about it yeah. <laughs> you guys can That's use some awesome. lessons yeah, yeah there's a company in texas that does bodysuit western shirts i saw that and i told cool i was like look i was like that idea like three years ago like literally could have yeah. been a huge su- a great success great success, <laughs> great success. yeah but. right so these days you still continue to run both pursue victory and page and you said you have a store in in stavely so do you actually like um make garments there or more just like a it's a storefront um, so we actually, we manufacture garments in Stavely and we ship all our product out of Stavely. Um, I have been using factories in Calgary for, well, I think I've been in business seven and a half years. So six and a half years I used factories in Calgary and it was definitely good. I lucked out my first factory I used for two or three years. Um, she was phenomenal and helped me a lot on the production side because I came Again, with my background in couturier, I was very, just the types of themes I was doing, it was all very time strenuous to make these shirts. And when you uh, start manufacturing, every theme costs money. So if you can make your shirts more efficient to make, then they're less money to produce, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so Dorothy helped me because one of the other things that I was very clear about is I wanted to do my own, I made my own patterns and I wanted to do my own size grading because a lot of times in, I guess, mainstream Western fashion wear, and I will say it's come a long ways in seven years, but when I started, it was like cookie cutter, like small, medium, and large just got exponentially bigger. But the difference between a lady who wears a small and a medium isn't that, you know, she's another four inches wider in the bodice and her shoulders are wider. Usually it's that she's actually just bustier. And then, mm-hmm. so I graded all my sizing based on how, how women of that size would be. And, uh, and then Dor- Dorothy, the lady at the first factory I used, she helped me get them into a CAD program, uh, which is computer drafting, which is what they then cut out of. So she helped me kind of streamline things for manufacturing. And I, like I said, I used factories for about six, six and a half years. And then 
last winter when I released my outerwear line, I was using a factory in Calgary and it was um, still, I look back and it was definitely one of the not, if not the, one of the top three most stressful times in my life because the factory was like two weeks or two months late on delivering product Mm -hmm. and you know, you sell winter wear early November and then it's supposed to be done end of November and it's not done by Christmas and then it's not done by January. And I ended up pulling all my product out of the factory and having um, people sew it for me. And so oh after that experience, I was like, if I'm going to continue this, I need to have my own, uh, my own factory. And so because I don't run things on a giant manufacturing scale where we do thousands of garments at a time, for two reasons because I don't like going to a barrel race or a rodeo and four other girls wear the same shirt as me but also it loses the integrity of the or it's harder to maintain the quality of the garment when you're mass producing like that um so I kind of created the name micro factory because similar to a microbrewery we're just a smaller version of a factory and we have two sewers that work in-house and they do a large portion of my manufacturing. And then I have some other sewers that aren't in the shop that also uh, do some sewing for us. So that's where everything that we sell is made in Southern Alberta, which I think is pretty impressive. And uh, yeah. So when I'm, when I'm in the States or when I'm not in Stavely, the sewers are still in the shop sewing and taking care of things there. They also are managing the shipping right now. Uh, obviously, because I'm not there to do that. And then on my end, I handle the marketing, um, the designing, the ordering of products, making sure things are flowing as best I can from where I'm at. Cool. And and has it come with some challenges or you have some good people with you and it seems to run pretty smooth even when you're out of country? You know, I'm very fortunate. I have some really great people that are working for me right now. And my MO from day one, even with Wild Rose Clothing, is I wanted to have a business that would run with minimal, would, would run with minimal influence from me. So I could leave it for a day or two, or I could work a few hours a day, um, so that I could dedicate more of my life to my horses and rodeoing or training. Because at the end of the day, that I love my business and I love my horses and I didn't ever want to saddle myself with the like making a living off of training horses and then getting to a place where I would have to sacrifice, you know, horses or it, it would just be so much pressure, you know, trying to rodeo or trying to train horses. And so I felt having a business would take that pressure off and let me do the best job I could for those animals. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my MO from the beginning and, and moving into having a micro factory or manufacturing in house has brought like a whole new onslaught of uh, functionality and check and balances in the business. But throughout the whole process, I've put systems in place that, um, I'm always a text message and a phone call away for the employees, but I also can work a, you know, work in the mornings and go, ride horses in the afternoon. So it's, it's by design and it's not saying that there's some days that I spend more time on my computer and less time on my horse, but generally speaking, it's a pretty even split. Nice. Oh, that's the dream. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. I'm pleased because I, I think everything entrepreneurs can do is dedicate their life and then 
lose track of that balance mm-hmm. and and I have and it's it's taken me some time because it's it's sometimes hard to get up from work when there's a list of things to do and be like, you know what, I I also need to go do this mm-hmm. and step oh, away yeah. from work. So finding that balance in life can be tricky, but I think it's it's very important to kind of set those boundaries for yourself. Yeah. I think that was like one of my like number one pieces of advice that my boyfriend actually gave me. He was like because I, with my hair and, and whatnot, and starting to rent a chair and working at the salon, now finally working for myself again, he's like, don't forget, the reason why you became your own boss was so that you don't, ha- you can enjoy the things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just working so hard mm-hmm. and putting all that stuff above what I wanted to do, and I was working more than an actual nine-to-five job. And so, like like you just said, putting yeah. like that work-life balance and putting that at, at the forefront is like important and why people want to be their own boss. How you stay happy. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, And what I was going to say before, um, one of my favorite all time shirts that I've ever seen is like one of the shirts that you designed, like the light blue with like the ruffle going down it. I I absolutely love that shirt. So I just wanted to know, like, where do you get your design inspo from? Mm -hmm. Is it kind of like the older Victorian style mixed with like the Western and like, how do you design your patterns? Like how you, like this just sounds like the funnest job ever. (laughs) I'm like sitting here in a cow print blazer right now. And I'm just like, tell me all how you design these shirts, where you get the inspo and like, yeah, tell me everything. Um, so the, the page 1912 shirts, it is the influence of the old Victorian and kind of high fashion, but then also the wild west and what those women wore when they were, you know, deer roping and lady bronc riding and trip riding and, and inspired on all of that. But I've, I think as a creative, um, I've became, I wouldn't say I've mastered it, but I work at, when I see something I like or it catches my eye, whether it's like in nature or a flower garden, or I use this example a lot. There's a, my dream vehicle, the seats in it are like saddle leather with black inset in the middle. And so when I see something that lights me up, I always, I'll analyze and be like, hey, what do I like about this? And in that example, I love that saddle leather color that seats come in. And I also like the black piping trim on them. So then, you know, I keep that in the back of my mind. And then an opportunity comes. And I was designing shirts that came out last summer. And we did, uh, we called it the buckskin shirt. And it was a tan colored shirt with black piping. So essentially the basis of that inspiration came from vehicle seats. But I, I find inspiration in different things and whatever kind of lights me up. Definitely, I find inspiration in the Old West and in, in like, the 1912 high fashion and um, and then take it from there. And the other thing that the page 1912 shirts, all of them are styles named after cities that were relevant or important in 1912, whether it be cool. from high fashion or the Wild West. And then we do, re- we do different versions of that. So... The one with the big ruffles down the front, that one is the Selena shirt. And I didn't, I had designed that shirt and, and then I started pairing them with the names of towns and cities. And I felt that one fit well with Selena's because there's such a Spanish influence in California. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever seen the Spanish ladies ride, I think they call them Adelitas actually. 
Um, there's a lot of rustle and, you know, beautiful, I don't know, there's inspiration there that all kind of runs together. Um, and so then each of the shirts, we've done a few different versions of that one. We did the a blue pinstripe. We did a blue pinstripe with little navy hearts on it. Oh, cute. Uh, we did a pink one and a yellow one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we take those styles and then we just do different versions of them. And our most popular style that we do almost every launch is the Cheyenne shirt. And the Cheyenne shirt is just our classic fitting shirt with a left chest pocket. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's, the, I guess I hope that answered your question. Yeah, about oh, yeah. And I love that. Pattern. So, so are you ever going to so make the, more of those ruffly ones? The Selena's? Yeah. Yeah, we we likely will here coming up. We haven't had a Selena's for, I guess, a year, year and a half. We haven't mm-hmm. done a Selena shirt. So Okay, I dibs one when they come out the again. Roster. Same. <laughs> a yellow yeah. one if you do yellow again. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> absolutely so i'm not sure if if this was in 1912 but um i listened to a lot of podcasts as well and like i love the true crime ones especially the canadian (laughs) but there i listened to a podcast and it was the first wild west woman outlaw and her and she was canadian and her name was pearl heart and like i told the girls i was like i want to if i register a horse and it's gray i'm gonna name her pearl heart like in dedication to like this old woman outlaw but she like robbed trains and she was like real badass her and her sister were crazy but like i'm not sure if that was like the year 1912 but her name was pearl hart and i believe that was like the first oh. woman outlaw and it's actually a very interesting pod- podcast it's on dark poutine <laughs> which is like the coolest <laughs> podcast oh. name ever <laughs> but it is a really cool one to listen to if you're into like history in the wild west they don't have any other wild west ones but that was i thought that was interesting yeah I'll check that one out. I read a really cool book about Fanny Ferry Steele, the lady bronc rider, and she ended up marrying Guy Wiedek. And it's it's a cool book. It's I think one of her family members writes it, but they I remember the one chapter she talks about going up to the first Calgary Stampede. She was in, she was invited as a lady bronc rider, and so her mom came with her. And, and her mom, in the way it's written, is like her mom sat next to this artist named Charlie, who is also from Montana, and he drew a picture of her riding a lady bronc or painted a picture. And it's like, I don't know, just that sort of That's thing. That's cool. Tugs at my heartstrings because it's like, can you imagine just sitting next to Charlie Russell at a rodeo while he oh, paints man. away? That like, is what? the first Calgary Stampede. <laughs> yeah. Like- and I also wanted to ask you another question about your shirts. So I saw like the 13 hand high, 14 hand high. Like I love that. I think that's awesome. Can you explain the sizing a little bit? Just like for someone that maybe wants to order online. Um, even for myself, like I'm usually a small, but like I have a I, I have think big I boobs. ordered a 14 hands high. I kind of tra- I tried to measure myself. A little yeah, bit. yeah. Yeah. So if you can like kind of explain the sizing, because that's a really creative touch and I love it. Yeah, so the reason our sizing doesn't follow typical extra small through large is because our shirts don't fit the typical extra small through large. And the first run of shirts I did back at the very start of the business, I did do my sizing that way. And a lot of uh, women, especially people in the horse business, I guess, um, they will size up for arm length and bodice length. So women who are maybe usually could even be a small, they'll order a large so that it fits or stays tucked in. So the first run of shirts I did, they would order a large and then they're swimming in it because 
a lot of our shirts, our shirts are more structured off of how they fit in the shoulders because if they fit good in the shoulders, they'll fit good everywhere else. And so after that, I changed my sizing to um, goddess names, but it was too arbitrary and people wouldn't figure out a small compared to a large. So that's when I changed it to the 12 hand tie through 16 hand tie. And essentially a 12 hand tie is a, is an extra small 13 hand tie is a small um, and so on up to a 16, which is a large. But I will say the caveat is I would base that more off of your t-shirt size because people will wear an honest t-shirt size because there's stretch in it. And they often, if they would wear a looser t-shirt, they would wear a looser long sleeve shirt. But if you, when I size people, that's what I ask is what's your t-shirt size? Because a lot of people, um, would size up in a button down shirt when they actually don't need to size up, but they do size up because of the way traditional shirts have fit them in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, and so another easy way is 12 hands high is basically zero to two, 13 hands high is four to six, 14 hands high is eight to 10, 15 hands high is 12 to 14 and 16 hands high is 16. So you can correlate that kind of with your Lululemon sizes or, or dress sizes and that's another way to to look at it and I whenever I do trade shows I always encourage people just try them on and see how they feel and lots of times people don't realize what a good fitting shirt is because they've never had them and then once you try one on then you're like oh okay now I get now I get why this is a thing um so I hopefully that sizing helps and and if anybody ever has any questions just dm me or get a hold of me because I can usually, if I see a person, I can size them right away, but I can often, if people message and be like, well, I wear a size small t-shirt, but I'm really busty, or like, here's my, here's my, you know, struggles I've had in the past finding clothes with it, I'm pretty accurate on letting them know what size would work for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. So what are some like future um, visions for like Page and Pursue Victory? And then how often do you normally do launches? Like I know you just had one for your pullover. So when can people expect um, a new item to be dropped? (laughs) (laughs) We have been launching products about once a month. And we're on track to launch some stuff early March again. Um, I when about my second year in business, I launched a men's line and it did really well, but I just didn't have the capacity to market and continue with a men's and a women's uh, because marketing to men is a whole different ballgame than women. But I've had a lot of requests to bring back my men's line and we've done samples of men's shirts. So that is definitely on the radar. That's cool. um, I don't know how how soon that will all happen, but it's it's in the works. The other thing I've been uh, noodling around in my head is I want to do a line of dresses and Ooh, uh, like be cool. everything from something, you know, you'd wear to the races or you'd wear to a friend's wedding, but something that fits properly because as much as I, like, I, I enjoy dressing up. Um, and I think there's clothing when manufacturing went overseas and they didn't send any Caucasian patterns to the manufacturers, clothing didn't fit people well. And so their solution was to add spandex to all this fabric and then it would just fit because it would stretch where it needed to. And and that's mm. great. I mean, it was it's one option, but I just think it, there's something about some 
a garment that fits properly and it adds a level of class and I think doing a line of dresses would be a lot of fun and I think people would get a lot of use out of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I could I can so. already imagine a dress with some of those like ruffles on yes. it. Oh yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Right? So fun. And then we'll do more jackets. I have I have a windbreaker I've been working on, so I'm hoping that we'll we can get those done here this spring and it it'll be a yeah, it, it'll be cool. It's a cool color combination. And then it will be kind of our functional cavalier jacket. So it will be one of our snap-up jackets with a collar. Um, so that's also kind of in the works. I get requests for kids' clothes a lot. It just, I don't have the capacity to, I would love to just do this all at once, you know, dresses and men's shirts. And, but when we launch a product, like the outerwear we did, I designed those and I worked on them for about six months and I had three or four prototypes and I, like before we, I even launched them for sale, I wore both of those jackets when we were shipping cows to make sure they're functional, to make sure they fit the way I want them to fit and they do what I want them to do because mm-hmm. I, that's just important to me in the product. So as much as I'd like to do everything all at once, each, each product takes uh, a decent amount of time just for product development mm-hmm. so that we do have a, a fantastic garment to deliver to the public. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it shows. And it's it's kind of cool too, like uh, from a marketing standpoint, you know how it's it's a very limited amount. Yeah. Um, exclusive. Like, you know which what I it mean? is. Yeah. yeah. Exclusive. exclusive. Might have yeah, been yeah. a word I was yeah. looking for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think that's like, I think that's important because the other thing with these garments is they're well made. So they last. And I know mm-hmm. there's still people barrel racing and roping in the shirts I put out seven years ago. So if oh, a wow. button-down shirt can last seven years, like these jackets are going to last for a long So mm-hmm. they need to be, like if I just regurgitated the same stuff, it would get pretty burnt out and be pretty generic. And so that's also something, like even I'm at the place where – I'm increasing my quantity, but I'm very conscious about how much I increase it before I just create a different style because I don't want to dilute that aspect of the business either. Yeah, that's good too. So um, with the horses, did you say that you you dabble a little bit into the colt starting too? Is is Matt teaching you his ways and is that something that you you, um, enjoy doing? Um, I, I prefer if they've already had at least 30 days or have a decent handle on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I always joke that there's only one room. There's only room for one bronc rider in this family. <laughs> I have a lot of self-preservation in me. Um, but I do like, as far as his day to day work here, I will help him catch colts or work them around on the ground on occasion. But we have six horses with us and I have two, four year olds, a five year old, a real horse, and another rope barrel horse, and then another project horse. So we have, I have plenty on my plate as it is. Yeah. I did, um, we had a horse, she's four now, that we bought, and she had about 30 days on her, and we just turned her out, and then we brought her back in. And I would kind of put some of the first few rides on her there, but I once they're riding around decently, then I like to take them and kind of put some buttons on them and, you know, teach them how to handle pressure and different things like that. That's more my specialty. And Matt's so good at what he does. Like, I don't think I, I don't think even if I 
studied him for the next few years, I could reach his level. And I grew up going to a lot of clinics and I'm, I'm an advocate of people pursuing and learning their horsemanship. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing that I've noticed with Matt is almost everybody else. I've never met somebody who approaches an ant, understands how horses think and approaches them like another horse. A lot of other people understand how a horse thinks and then how a human integrates with that. But a lot of how Matt thinks is like how a horse would treat another horse and how, how to approach them from that aspect. So I have learned a ton from him um, that has overflowed onto like onto the work that I do from yeah. their three, four, five year old year that, uh, and how a horse thinks I think is a huge thing uh, to horsemanship. Right. I guess that's kind of what it is, but Definitely. No, I don't, I do, I don't do much of the cult starting, but I do have a two year old. She's, I think she's coming to, and she's like just dog gentle. And I told Matt, I'm like, maybe I'll get, maybe I'll start Rosa. He's like, yeah, you should. She'd get tough one. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, maybe I'll crack out and start one. There you go. That'd be awesome. Well, you have the best hand to help you. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who did, um, like, who did he learn his horsemanship from? He's, he's reminding me, like, the things that you say, you know, just, like, thinking like the horse. We have, um, we're very fortunate to have Mel Highland up here, and he's really focused on horsemanship in his most, uh, like, recent years um, teaching clinics, and yeah. I feel like we can all use a little more horsemanship. Yeah, 100%. Um, Mel's, oh, Mel, Matt is a big Ray Hunt fan. And he studied a lot of that. He's also a lot um, self-taught. And Matt, he's just, he's an animal person. Like, he's better with animals than people, to be honest with you. And he's, you know, he's put time in. He's started horses from when he was a young kid. That's what him and his brother did when they were in junior high and high school. And, And then he went on from there and he was starting horses you know, for cutting horse trainers and for ranches and, and he's learned and developed and figured out how to get in their heads. And, you know, he still to this day watches stuff and reads books. Like he's a student of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, that I, I think probably Ray Hunt is one of the biggest influences in, in his learning for sure. That was like Mel too. Yep. Yeah. I definitely feel like I've heard him mention mm-hmm. Ray Hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a hundred and ten percent with you guys. Like I think horsemanship needs to have it, it needs to be infused into all these other disciplines mm-hmm. at a higher more of it. Yeah. And I think I I had to take a little break from barrel racing because I struggle sometimes. I I don't know how to say this without being maybe sounding rude, but I. I struggle sometimes watching horses being put in positions that it's not their fault. They're not working or mm-hmm. they, maybe they were given the best opportunity. That's hard mm-hmm. for me to see. So I had to take a little break from barrel racing because I think that is one sport. There's such a low barrier of entry that anybody with a horse and 40 bucks can go to a jackpot. And that's yep. very cool about the sport. And I think that it's also, uh, definitely could use a lot more horsemanship mm-hmm. in the sport. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's something that we try to promote here too, is like that you can like ask for help or, you know never, what I mean? Never stop learning. Never stop learning. Yeah. And num- mm-hmm. the number one thing is to keep going to like, not even just like 
like barrel racing lessons or clinics or whatnot but go to the horsemanship ones go try reining go try english other disciplines yeah yeah. make yourself a well-rounded rider in every aspect and you're going to succeed a hundred percent and we're so fortunate we live in a time where you know you can get on youtube or you can read articles on barrel horse or you can join between the reins like Mm -hmm. there's so much information at our fingertips that i just think we're we're set up better than a lot of past generations. And I guess you can go back with the argument that, well, there's good and bad information out there, but you know, how do you learn? You gotta, you're going to figure it out yourself. You're going to figure your own way. And I think as long as you're learning and taking things from people who've been there, done that, learn from people and decipher it through your own filter. Does this work for me? Does this make sense? Does this make sense for my horse? And then apply what's necessary. You know, I think when you can get to the place and, I, I don't know if I was at this place through college. I was with my roping because there's a lot of techniques to it. But in the past, I guess kind of since being with Matt, I've gotten to the place where following the journey of the horse and figuring out how to get into their brains and actually train one to think for themselves has become such a like addiction or like a, a journey with it that yes, barrel racing is fun, and yes, it's fun to go make runs and jackpot, but, like, is anything better than a perfect turn or, like, a soft horse that picks up and comes over himself? Like, the that's the sort of stuff I, I enjoy now, and I know I haven't always been there, and I guess, you know, everybody has their own journey, but I would encourage people to go learn, get online and learn, read articles. Like, we're so fortunate in this time and place to have all of this at our fingertips. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of a twist question. Since you since you like all the history and you're very involved with like the Western way, way of life, probably, you know, how it happened back then, how it's happening now. What are some big changes? Maybe what stayed the same? And like, what are some things that you're like hoping for the Western industry going forward? That was a deep question. Um, that was the deepest I, question. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where do I start? I think, you know, in the past few years, I feel like the industry is really exploding. And mm-hmm. it's from in all aspects. Like, you look at how many more incentives are in the barrel racing or in the broking. You look at how many more events are available, different large, like, huge money available now. Um, and horse even sales. I, I always mm-hmm. relate it. Yeah, horse sales. Like, mm-hmm. man, if you had 100 head of horses, you basically sitting on a gold mine. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's great, and I love to see that. And I think that, you know, the Western industry is something so unique that I hope we can preserve those, preserve the legends and be able to move on with what's exciting and, and evolve with it. As far as the performance horses and competition, um, again, I'm always an advocate for horsemanship. And and with any flooded market, like, do your due diligence and and check that person's resume. Don't just take advice from anybody. That's like my pet peeve when I get on Facebook and it's like, what do you think of this? And I'm like, just call your vet. Honestly, just (laughs) call your vet because anybody with a doctor in veterinary medicine is not on Facebook to answer your questions. Um, Yeah. So I think, I don't know, the industry is growing. It's an exciting time to be a part of it. And I think as a person participating in it, you know, Go all in. Learn what you can. Take those risks. And, and I think the industry is going to keep growing. You know, sometimes 
people like, oh, you know, what do you think the horse market's going to do? I mean, it continues to get stronger. Like, I, I don't, mm. I don't know. I think that's a great thing. That's, that's only a win for people who enjoy horses because there's a great market for them out there, which means there's more money up to win, which means all these things. Like, it's just a win every time you turn around in my book. Yep. A little easier to break even these days with yeah. the horses. Maybe, maybe still not <laughs> make a ton of money, but closer to that breaking even point. It's a good seller's market right now. <laughs> yeah. But right? I mean, it is well, about time though. Like when you add in everything, you know, your hours, yeah. your vet bills, how much really goes into a horse. Like, you know, a few years ago, $20,000 was a lot for a bail horse. But if you add everything up and all your time that it took to get that horse there, really it's it's not. So I think it is cool to see the, the horse market pop in in that aspect. Yeah, for sure. And you even look at like what Braceway Roping's done in the past yes. five years. Mm-hmm. It's wild. And they just started the Roping Fraternities of America and they had a breakaway. I don't know if it was a slot race or a slot, not a slot race, a slot roping or what it was, but the winner won $60,000. And I'm like, yeah. where, you know, like this is a huge thing for roping and for breakaway roping, but for the horse industry, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, that's wild. And you look at people like Shelby Beaujolais, they make a living roping. Mm-hmm. When was, That wasn't a thing when I was out of college. And I know I'm not a spring chicken, but that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah. So cool. It is. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's great. And, you even look at the fraternity numbers. Um, the horse I fraternity, my first fraternity horse, it was, I think she's nine this year, so four years ago. And there was like, you know, you'd be pushing 100 people in the fraternity. Well, you get way more than 100 in a fraternity in Alberta these days. You know, like even in the progress of four years, how much the numbers of fraternity entries have gone up. You know, that alone is a sign of what the industry is doing. So speaking of all the different markets, my mind just goes ping, ping, ping. I heard you guys, I heard you mention earlier about loading cattle. So are you guys involved in like that business as well? No, we're not. We don't have any cattle, but Matt has, uh, since I've met him, he's worked at different community pastures. And uh, so we did work cattle. They were just not our cattle. They were other people's cows. Around cattle. Yeah, exactly. And it's awesome um, for horses to be able to go and make those miles, like the yes. horse off the this year, Lincoln, I don't think he would be the horse. He, well, he definitely wouldn't be the horse he is today without Matt, but even the miles Matt was able to put on him this summer and, and just exposing him to a good hard day's work, I think does yep. wonders for their brain, you know? Oh yeah. Many, many, many successful, um, barrel racers say that too. Like I know Lynette Broadway, she Mm -hmm. says, I do just a lot of things, you know, go out in the field with the cattle and just a lot of stuff that isn't in the arena. That truly makes a, makes a a horse. horse. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a well-rounded horse. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I always joked with, uh, my horse Ruby, who I briefly rope on now. I was like, she used to love barrel racing because she's used to spend like nine days out or nine hours a day out doctoring cattle or moving cattle around so 15 seconds in the arena is a cakewalk plus she gets to leave in her hands little blanket like this is a win-win in her book (laughs) no kidding (laughs) that's hilarious I love it yeah yeah so I guess going back to like the business aspect um 
So what is one or maybe two pieces of advice that you would give someone that wants to follow their dreams and become an, an entrepreneur and maybe like, yeah, just some helpful tips for someone listening to this that needs that little push to like follow their just dreams? Do it. Yeah. Well, you know what? The time is going to pass and you're going to do the work anyway, so you might as well do it for yourself. Yes, and that's a good one. I'm, I'm not going to lie and say being an entrepreneur is all sunshine and rainbows because it's not. But no job is sunshine and rainbows. And again, at least at the end of the day, you're making your calling your own shots and making your own choices. Um, the other thing is, I think I think two things is find your niche and find where you can deliver the value. And then secondly, I don't think that there's, I don't view competition the same as other businesses that I've, that I've been around even or involved in in the past. Because before I started my shirt business, I worked in the oil and gas industry. And we tend to have this idea of like, well, you know, if I make sure I, nobody else can make sure I have to be the only one and I make more sure. So like we get in this competitive mindset, but Mm -hmm. actually like another business that makes sure helps me because if, if somebody is going to pay $150 for, you know, a Thunderbird shirt or this shirt or that shirt, it means it's in their brain that shirts are valuable or they're interested in shirts and they're probably going to buy one from me too. Mm -hmm, So it actually works in our favor rather than me being the only one saying you need a special shirt. Then like, I think if we can reframe how you look at competition and I'm not saying work together and phone them and be your best friend, but I'm saying, you know, find your niche within that and, and then just be relentless about it. You know, um, one thing I've really learned, and this is something actually Lynette drives home to me often is I, used to be a person very much like either you win or lose either it's good or bad and I've reframed my my thoughts because of her and she gave me the book sometimes you win sometimes you learn and there's always a way there's always an option and lots of times it can turn out better than you first imagined and it's just about stepping away from getting into that blame shame guilt and seeing like what is the silver lining of this and I'll give you an example um the pullovers we just launched were supposed to originally launch on the 8th of February. And I had the website set. Like I've been doing launches once a month all year. I've before the past year, I've been doing launches. This isn't my first launch is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And so the website's ready, ready to rock and roll. And when it launches at 8am, like shit hits the fan. The website starts crashing. People can't get through. I get all these emails, text messages, phone calls, and I am not super techie. I'm techie enough, but not super techie. We have the our current website, and then we're building a new one. We'll launch here in the upcoming weeks, and both websites were stammering to stay on top of, oh, no. to stay moving. And so I called the the lady designing my website said because both are having issues with the server issue. So I ended up calling long story short website crashed. All these people are trying to buy. I'm getting emails and texts. Please put me on the list. How can I get one? And I can't sell my product because the website's now completely offline. And if you go to pagecalloway.com, it's just going to say not available. 
And so that was a pretty stressful morning. And I finally sat back and I'm like, okay, take my own advice. Like what, what good can come of this? And I realized like how fortunate I am that people want my products so bad. They're going to wait. One gal waited two hours trying the website. And I thought, you know what? Everybody needs a pullover who wants one because that's the other thing we've been running into is the pullovers have been selling out usually in 15 minutes to half an hour. And I've been trying to up the quantity, but I haven't been able to find a place where they don't sell out. So I just opened them up. When we relaunched, I said, just buy anybody who wants them buy for 12 hours. When we sold out our inventory, we're going to move into our pre-orders and you guys will get them in four to six months or four to six weeks. And anybody who wanted a pullover, now is your opportunity. And what an opportunity that was for me because we got probably triple the amount of pre-orders I had thought we might get. Yeah. And so as much as, yes, that time was stressful, it wasn't a complete failure. There was huge wins come out of that. Not only do all the clients now get a pullover, it opened my eyes to the market that I have that I didn't realize I had. And what I can do moving forward to make sure that there's more jackets available. So I guess full circle, what I'm trying to say is there's, there's always a different answer. And if something doesn't go the way you think it should, it doesn't mean you quit. It doesn't mean you walk away. It means there's a different opportunity waiting and just pivot and continue moving forward. And as a business owner, that's literally your job. Pivot and continue, pivot and continue because nothing not nothing, but few things go as planned in business. And so then it becomes the, it, you just become a master at, hey, how can we pivot and continue moving forward? The pullover thing did work out for a positive for me because I probably wouldn't have been on my phone for the first 15 minutes. And then I was able to get in on the second sale day. So <laughs> <laughs> that worked out. Yeah, that worked out exactly. <laughs> oh, that's, exactly. That's I know. great advice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm very fortunate um, that the business is the way it is and that it continues to work and function and I have great employees and, you know, but I, it, it, you've got to be, what is that saying? You've got to be lucky to be good and you've got to be good to be lucky or something along those lines. Like luck comes to those who work too, mm-hmm. you know, and I think when you put your head down and you, you have a, a dream and an idea, just go forward with it. hundred percent. That's some great advice. Yeah. And the other thing I guess I'll add to that. I think every, everything in life is this way, but I feel like being an entrepreneur is like, yeah, very much this way that it is a personal development journey. And that is what makes being an entrepreneur tricky at times is because if I have a shortcoming being who I am as Paige, I see that day in and day out. And so managing, okay, here's where I need to improve as a human while I'm still managing a business is where it can be tricky. And I think having the spiritual side and the personal development side of business has, has really, I guess, it's made me stick in it for the long run. And I know before I started this business, when I worked in the oil and gas industry and I worked for a tech startup company in the oil and gas industry, I still think back to that. And I, I'm like, how did those guys do that and not have like a spiritual faith and the personal development side of things? Mm -hmm. You know, like I think 
yeah, I, I think I, I give a lot of credit to that and a lot of credit to, I mean, it's helped me grow as a person and I'm a better person now than I was seven years ago and I continue to grow. And honestly, anybody who rides horses, that's another personal development journey. So if you're already on it, you might as well start the business. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You can definitely relate that to horses in most cases. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Well, it truly yeah. sounds like you're so passionate about everything that you're doing and all of that is coming back because everyone wants your stuff. So it's honestly been so fun yeah. having you on. It's such an honor to hear like how your story like came about and just the love Great that business. you have into your product. And yeah, it's definitely showing. I know I for sure want a wardrobe full of your shirts. <laughs> yeah. And awesome business advice too. And life advice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think as, as you guys know, working with horses, that's another good, another good self-development journey for sure. But, um, yeah, I think that's a huge gift as an entrepreneur and, and somebody who owns horses. Exactly. So yeah, if you're, if you are a horse person, likely, you know, you have these skills to be a problem solver anyway. So then yeah, you pair that with being an entrepreneur and cool things can happen and you can actually have time for your horses. Exactly. As long as you can be that problem solver. <laughs> and then you might not be horse poor. poor horse poor. You may horse or you may not be. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. I will say I have, I am always horse shopping oh, yeah. and I don't even have to have a budget for it, but I'm window shopping all the time. And actually we got a horse right before we came south. Um, and I, we were not shopping because we bought two this summer, two weanlings. And I was like, I like to buy a couple of young ones every year or every other year, just so I always have stuff coming up. So I'm like, oh, perfect. We got two weanlings. Like we're, we're set. And then I get a message from a friend like, hey, are you looking for a horse? And I'm like, well, bait me in. Like, <laughs> what do you got? And we ended up getting uh, a really cool little horse. Uh, that will be a, she's actually a Western Fortunes incentive too. She's a duly cat mare and very fortunate that she's been in the hands of some great trainers and has a really good start. She's four years old or just a fresh four year old. Um, and we ended up buying her and we were like, do we even have room in our trailer to take this horse south? Well, we got to figure a way to get her down there. And so, yeah, I feel like a horse tour may or may not always happen. You just decide if you need the horse, you just, you make it happen. Exactly. Yep. That's a good something else if you have to. Yeah. We all feel that too. I think we're we're all always horse shopping. Yeah. We're never not. Yeah. Or one of your close friends is that you can live vicariously through, it seems like too. Yeah, we have enough of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well in Phoebe, don't you raise horses too? She does. She disappeared. Baby started crying. Oh no. Yes, but yeah. she does. This was her her first year. Um, twenty twenty one was her first full crop. But yeah, she does have uh, quite a few broodmares here. I think four or five. And um, yeah, I think so. They were they're actually auctioning off her last available baby for the Big Bang. Um, he's a super stakes. But yeah, they are they are all gone. Oh, good for her. I always think that would be a fun game. We have one mare we're going to breed this year, but I would love to get more into the breeding side of things. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing. I think, you know, like a big learning curve comes with its ups and downs and you have to adapt. And it's, you know, not always a huge money maker. But if you're passionate about it, I think, yeah, there's nothing else like it. And I I can't even imagine for the breeders that are passionate about it, you know, like to be able to go to the CBHI and, and watch those horses and riders do good. Like, I bet that's such a 
fulfilling feeling, you know, same with, yeah, 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 exactly. Totally. Same with a horse trainer too, I'm sure. But I think, and I love studying bloodlines mm-hmm. and like what crosses, what traits are passed down, what crosses well on what, what their turn style is. Like I, I enjoy that side of it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, me too. Do you guys, do you find, um, are you into the, what's your preference or do you have one? Do you like a lot of run or do you like a little mix of cow and run? Well, to be honest, this, uh, Lincoln is my first like all run horse, I guess. Mm-hmm. My other two, my first maturity horse, we call her Stevie Nick and she is by chaos cash and fame. So she's dashed to fame out of a mare who's by Stevie Alina. So she's crossed on cow. Mm-hmm. And then my other horse is a, her dam is by a Pepta Boonsville stud and she's out of a Martha Six Moons stud herself. So she's run on cow too. So Lincoln's kind of my first all running bred horse. The ones I grew up on were running cow mix or kind of more just ranch horses. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting. I do notice, which probably is not a shock to anybody, other than when Lincoln's real fresh, he is like pretty docile and Whereas those cow horses can get a little bit fractious. Um, sure. I guess Dash to Fame can too. But yeah. no, I don't have a preference right now. The four-year-olds I have, one is a 99 gold mine mm-hmm. and the other is a Dooley cat. So it'll be interesting to see. Both of them are pretty excited four-year-olds at this stage of the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're all there. Yeah. So, oh, you have a nice yeah. mix going then, on. Yeah, I'm trying to find what my niche is. The two-year-old that we have that's super docile and chill, she's all running bread. She's uh, by obsessed with Corona, Denard's son. Yeah. And then she's out of a mare. Bonnie Dane's actually raised her. Um, So this little filly we have, her dam is by Scruton Beduino, and her dam's dam is by Perfect Possibility. And she's, she's giant. She's two, but she's probably... Her hips like at 15, 15, 1. Um, oh, and be a nice ever since cross. I got, she's like a pet dog. She'll just follow you anywhere. She's your best friend. So it'll be interesting what what she's like when, and even Bonnie felt, thought she was pretty chill. I know Brandy, uh, Bonnie's grandson played with her, hung out with her a little bit. And she's like, I don't usually let that happen, but she's kind of just been a chill horse from, from the get go. Friendly. Which, yeah, it'll be interesting because sometimes, like, watching Matt start so many colts, sometimes those ones that are super chill are then not super easy to handle when you get, like, they're better friends and not yes. partners for work. Right. And they have a little bit more raw equine survival in them. Um, but the little bit of work Matt did with Rosa, he thought, you know, she responds well to pressure and she's, she's pretty smart. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with her. Cool. Oh, yeah. And I've just been drooling over the 99 gold mines the past yeah. few years, too. Yeah. the I really wanted a 99, and I ended up kind of lucking out. I think it must have been two years ago. I messaged Donna, and I was like, what do you have for sale? She's like, well, nothing. And then she messaged me back. She's like, well, I have one, but it, Donna wanted to make sure she got to the right home. So we have her. I call her Goldie, and she's uh, she is all there when she wants to be but she's a she's a cool horse uh, my favorite thing about horses is they all teach you something but they're also different and goldie mm-hmm. i could force her to do anything in the world but if i'm patient with her and she learns it and figures it out herself like 
one time locked in her head, she's good. So it's been a real uh, test in A, patience, but also B, like allowing her to find the answer and kind of figuring out how I can set that win up for her. And then, yeah, but super athletic. Like, mm-hmm. this is a very amateur opinion, so take it as you want. But I would compare the 99 gold mine Philly I have with my dash to same Philly, like beyond athletic, hyper athletic. From, from what I've natural. seen, they, they look so athletic. Oh, yeah. I love watching them run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very excited yeah. for you. Thank you. So I, I know you've listened to our show before, so we definitely love to end our podcasts on um, a funny or embarrassing story that happened down the rodeo trail or jackpots or like even in your uh, micro factory, <laughs> if you would like to share something with us. Oh, man, where does it begin? I didn't put this in the email, um, so I apologize. Oh, <laughs> Steph just left you hanging. <laughs> yeah, um... I'm like, where do I want to embarrass myself? <laughs> How All I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even feel like when I think of what embarrasses me, it's it's not the mistakes I make. I I am so lucky for I have the people that work with me. I have done stuff like ordered fabric and it comes in the wrong color or ordered we I ordered snaps last week and they got to the shop and snaps there's four pieces that create one snap and they only sent one and so they went to start putting snaps in shirts today and they're like oh by the way there's only caps here we need the other three pieces um I mean the list goes on sometimes I've shipped people their order twice I have oh no man I'm <laughs> I've fallen off. Oh, this is a good <laughs> well, embarrassing we've all, story. We've all done that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, so the mare I rope off of Ruby, she's, um, she's super sensitive. Like she is not a horse you can get after because she'll remember it forever. And so there's this like subconscious thing in me where I'm always sort of making sure she's okay, like protecting her to a degree. And at the Chinook finals last October and I wrote my calf and when I threw my loop on the right side of my horse's head like junior I'm not saying I wrote like junior but you know how he'll throw his loop on the wrong side well I threw my loop on the wrong side but then it's kind of tied off I threw it on the left side it's tied off on the right and all I could think of like Ruby's gonna freak out if this loop or if this rope zips down or on the wrong side so I grabbed my slack and tried to flip it over her head. But then I was kind of stood up out over top. And she then freaked out at that point and just stopped <laughs> and went backwards. And I came rolling off my horse. Oh, no. And I was mortified. <laughs> and uh, anyways, I, yeah, I was very fortunate. I have a really good friend, Jessica Van Buskirk, and I had traveled with her there. And she's like, she's made me feel way better about it and I sent the video to Matt and I think he was laughing and then <laughs> I have a guy that I send a lot of my roping videos to in the states that uh, rope calves and he's like okay well just remember like that's not necessary because your rope would just have broke off your horn like it's just breakaway roping you didn't have to <laughs> together, like trying to be so diplomatic and then because I'm not a spring chicken my shoulder hurt for like two weeks oh, and no. the after the finals you just pay like a 
flat rate and the photographer puts all the photos up. <laughs> she didn't take out the photos of me falling off. And oh so my. she like sends the album out to everybody and I'm like, well, beautiful. Like, <laughs> Thanks. <frame this>? Like, <laughs> just delete this. Oh anyway. That's hilarious. Yeah. Those Long are some good ones. Short, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and then I went to a rope in last weekend and I kind of got up ahead of myself and Ruby really stopped and kind of stepped to the left and I had to grab it hang on with my knees and I'm like I think I have PTSD from last October I oh. thought it was coming off right there probably <laughs> yeah that's hilarious so yeah I tell you horses oh yes interesting. horses and PTSD yeah. they seem to go hand in hand <laughs> <laughs> well we have had so much fun with you on this podcast. Um, I know our listeners are probably going to love it just as much as we did. Um, is there anyone that you want to like shout out to before we head off? And then also um, where people can find you on social media. Um, on social media, we have Pursue Victory. Well, I guess Instagram and Facebook, we have Pursue Victory and Page 1912 as two separate uh, accounts. The Instagram handle for page 1912 is the brand page 1912. And then I have my own personal Instagram as well. I'm not, I have a TikTok. It's called the shirt biz, but I'm not Cute. very savvy on it. Um, and that's kind of the extent, I guess, of our social media. As far as a shout out, I have a huge thank you to the people that are working for me, um, Katrina and Marika that are in the shop. And then, of course, Matt, because He's an awesome support system, both with horses and with the business. And uh, I'm fortunate to have somebody that we get to travel around and share the interest of horses and yeah. and do fun things with. Yeah. It Heck sounds yeah. like you guys are living it up. Doing our best. Yeah. Doing our best. <laughs> so, so thanks again, Paige. And can we get you to take us out of this podcast? Yeah. Get... <laughs> no, now I'm... Turn it up. Perfect. Get Richard Ride trying. There you yeah. go. There Perfect. You go. That's awesome.